Welcome to Decrypt, Asia's first blockchain and cryptocurrency podcast. I'm your host, Tushar. Each week, we take a deep dive into the Asian blockchain scene with investors, technologists, and industry insiders. Go to decrypt.asia to subscribe to our newsletter and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Telegram to join in the discussions. Hi, guys. Today, we have the two most fascinating people I've come across in my journey in this industry on the show. Our first guest is Siyun, who was into break dancing and danced professionally for more than 10 years. He served in the military, curated and wrote for a hip-hop blog, and led hip-hop education efforts before the Bitcoin bug bit him. He started The Blockchainers, the first blockchain-slash-cryptocurrency YouTube channel in Korea with his co-host, Young Hoon, who's the other guest on the show. Young Hoon majored in math and computer science at the University of Oxford and upon graduation had short stints in McKinsey and Macquarie before also serving in the military in Somalia for a counter-piracy mission for the Korean army. Together, they also started and currently run Nons Community, an open source, co-working, co-living blockchain cryptocurrency space based on proof of work. Non's community started as a few people who worked in this ecosystem, living together in a three-bedroom apartment, and has since grown to a whole building which can currently accommodate up to 100 blockchainers. Through Non's community, they're experimenting with a new way of life based on decentralized governance and blockchain-based incentive systems for the community. Welcome to the show, guys. It's great to be here, Tushar. Thanks for having us. Before we jump into what you guys have been up to, could you give a quick introduction about yourselves, how you came to be involved in the blockchain space, perhaps starting with Siyun? Yeah, sure. Um, hi, everyone. Hi, internet. Uh, my name is Siyun. Um, <laughs> I've been involved with... Uh, the first time I heard about Bitcoin was the end of 2014. It was uh, during my co-founder, Younghoon, who's the other, other voice on the show. Um, I... I before I got started with Bitcoin, so a little background about myself. I grew up in five different countries, and one of those countries was China. And so I moved to China back in two thousand two. And during that time, um, all I wanted to be was a programmer. Computers, computer, computers were my best friend. And I quickly realized that uh, being a foreigner in China, that you were uh, surveilled constantly, whether it be uh, through phone tapping, whether it be through hacking. Um, whether and then also like basic human rights such as um, like the police were the police could come to my house at any point in time and they could search uh, they could search whatever's you know what uh, were happening in my house. I also had like different friends. Um, th- these friends were obviously like they're in China for like quote unquote the wrong purposes. Um, but um, they you know I saw some parents of my friends like kidnapped to North Korea or they were like detained at different um, different parts of China. So I started to have a very strong dislike of uh, police states in general. And by the way, I'm not Chinese. Um, and then fast forward a couple of years, I stopped coding because it was very uh, turbulent time in my life. And instead I started dancing. So I danced, um, this is like 2018 right now. And I've been dancing for approximately like 13 years of my life. And oh, um, wow. Yeah, while I was uh, while I was dancing, obviously I'm all all for like peace, love, unity, having fun. Everything was it was not about money, but when I 
heard from my co-founder about Bitcoin back in 2014. I still thought it was just, just about money, right? So the conversation didn't really interest me. But um, I got discharged from the military. I was an officer in the Korean military for about three years. And I got a, I got a paycheck. And um, I wanted to put this paycheck somewhere, just park it somewhere so that I could like, invest. And I didn't, I didn't really feel comfortable investing in Wall, investing in Wall Street, especially because I, I knew that I couldn't beat like the high frequency traders. So I, you know, my my co-founder told me about Ethereum just a couple of months before I uh, got discharged. So I bought every bought Ether, bought Bitcoin. Um, that was my first exposure, and I started studying it. And I realized that this was exactly what I was dreaming about back when I when I used to live in China and back when you know like something that people 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 could know about that the state could know about, but it was completely censorship resistant. So I gravitated towards it completely. Um, back then I was doing like, I was a, like a hip hop entrepreneur of sorts. And um, about like 10 months later, during that time, there was like a run in with the law that happened with me. And I gained an even more like strong distrust and uh, distrust of the state. And uh, I told my co-founder that we need to start a YouTube channel. That's kind of like, how we came to be and sorry and so i mean before we go to young Hoon, i'm just fascinated by your background so the youtube channel was that to do with hip-hop or was that to do with crypto oh yeah so yeah we started the first korean blockchain crypto related youtube channel called the blockchainers in uh, march of 2017 right and what were you doing as a hip-hop entrepreneur were you dancing or Oh, sure. So yeah, um, two years after I started dancing, I was already, um, you know, traveling to different states for competitions, for shows. I was doing like workshops, um, you know, busking, busking in the middle of the street. I was doing all that. And I was, you know, like people, people say, uh, you got it made when you're making money off of what you love. And so yeah. I was doing that. But yeah. then after the military, when I came back, I was more interested in um, how it might be possible for artists to make a steady income. So I'm not trying to make, uh, you know, my, a lot of my artist friends are struggling, especially in Korea. They're struggling to make about like 400, they're making like 400 to $700 a month. And I wanted to like really help them and make, help them make like about maybe like $1,500 a month USD. And uh, so I wanted to leverage social media. So we are creating a lot of different, different types of content. We are also like very focused on like um, hip hop education, which is like unlike just opening a dance school or like a rap school or like an art school, like a graffiti school or a DJ school, we wanted to present it in like its purest form. Meaning, like you know, hip hop is at the end of the day as a culture, so there are all these different elements to it. So we were looking and exploring ways in which you can package these different elements, and, and um, you can have have like children or people who want to learn about this like really get the immersive experience. There's only about even now, there only, there's only like five or six places in the world that does that. And I was trying to do it in this tiny city in Korea called Busan. Amazing. I mean, that, that is just so fascinating. Um, and and Yanghun, uh, could you give us a quick introduction about yourself as well and talk about how you came to be involved in the space? Uh, right. Hey, guys. My name is Yanghun. Um, actually, my background is last, last interesting uh, compared to shoes <laughs> so, yeah i started um sort of like my life is kind of boring because like i started um studying mathematics when i was really young so that was like when i was 10 or something it's like really like just like studying math so me and my brother we studied math 
for quite a few years. And then, yeah, just like, just like a typical Korean, we just went into the um, high school, university. So I actually went to the UK to study um, math and computer science at the University of Oxford. So uh, upon the graduation, I actually uh, went into the army, went into the military. So I served in the, um, in the Korean Navy. So I was like serving in the same base as students. So basically in Korea, the, because of North Korea, the military service is mandatory. So as an officer, you need to serve for like three years. So while in the military, I got really fascinated by Bitcoin. That was back in like 2014, right? Because I, my friend told me about Bitcoin. I was like immediately fascinated, but like not because I haven't bought my Bitcoin two years after I first knew about Bitcoin. So I was more interested in, sort of in, in a pure sort of academic sense because I, just like everybody else who got into Bitcoin at that point of time, I really um, was fascinated by the fundamental questions that Bitcoin asks, right? So it's like, what is, what is money, right? What are the nature of the relations between an individual and the state or any centralized as an entity, right? So I think blockchain is sort of like, as a, I just kind of like felt the blockchain as not just a technology per se, but more of a social sort of like building block and kind of like institutional technology. So that's why I got interested. I started mining and we try to build a, our miner, old miner, using like different sort of like oil cooling system, which is uh, turned out to be really futile because compared to China, the labor cost and sort of like electricity cost is much, much higher in Korea. So it just like doesn't make sense for us to kind of like compete against Chinese it's like manufacturers. So yeah, I did mining for like from 2016 for, for about a year. And then as Shin told um, you, like, yeah, we started a YouTube channel back in like March, 2017. So yeah, just like here we are. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's been a ride. Yeah, certainly. All right, so what is nonce community? Uh, nonce is basically, um, it's a blockchain community basically. So we've, when we actually first started Nonce, it was like, as we kind of like are doing blockchain and then producing content on YouTube and distributing it for free. So we actually became um, a true believer in open source. And we kind of ask each other, like, why don't we leave our life open source? And just like, if blockchain is permissionless, why don't we like be permissionless, right? And then just invite anybody who's interested in blockchain to study together and to like share, share the life philosophy of some sort, right? Blockchain is not just about just like reducing the cost of like financial sort of like services. It's more of a, it's like guarantee, um, yeah, it's more of a, it's about individual self-sovereignty and like freedom and changing nature of the relations between uh, of social interactions, right? So, I mean, we just want to sort of like realize that vision in our real life. So I think blockchain is a very revolutionary technology. Um, and then we just thought that we need a sort of like revolutionary way of living. So yeah, we just like try, try to be, um, sort of like try different way of life by being maximally sort of like permissionless and just like radically open. So that's how, how NOS community got started. So um, we rent out a sort of like three bedroom apartment 
So I started inviting anybody. So um, yeah, so it, it grew bigger and bigger. So by uh, after after a month, we are moving into a new building. So it's a it's a whole building which can accommodate up to like a hundred people. So we're, we're currently building a blockchain co living working space for like more than hundred people, right? So we just like try to test that out and try um, try sort of like decentralized governance model for the community and all this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you touched upon a couple of very interesting points, which I'm going to try and dig into. But I'm just curious to, I mean, before I dig into all of those things, I'm just curious to find out, like, who, like when you rented the three-bedroom apartment, who were the people that were staying there? What was the environment like? You mentioned that, you know, it was sort of a life choice. It was permissionless living. So how would, I guess, people would find out about you guys and then try and live there. So how would things work, especially when it started? Sure. Uh, I'll go ahead and answer that question. Um, yeah, when we, when we started, even when we started with the YouTube channel, crypto was still weird. So I think there were a lot of people in Korea. I mean, in Asia in general, people tend to be um, more uh, respectful of the government. I guess that's the good way of putting it. Another way of putting it is uh, the bad way is uh, subservient. Um, <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, we don't have a lot of like libertarian or crypto anarchists like crypto anarchist people, right? Like those people, people with that kind of slant doesn't really, um, I, I don't think Asians are just like, the propensity of Asians just aren't that way, especially if you're like Far East Asian or something. And so everybody who was doing, um, you know, Bitcoin, Ethereum, who was into crypto, it was still very, very weird. So we started getting ridiculous amounts of email from everyone. Um, our viewership, actually, we met a lot of our viewers. So it would go down as low as uh, nine years old and it would go up as high as like 72, right? So all these like different viewers of ours just started contacting us and like, you know, like they're putting YouTube comments and you know, we were answering, I was answering um, every single comment back. Uh, we were also answering all of these emails. And once we got the place, like people just started visiting us. So before then, we lived in two different cities and um, for a very short period, we were living in one house right outside of Seoul. So it wasn't, it just was not a great place for people to visit us. But after we got a place, like the word got out. And just so all these people started coming. Um, a couple of our friends who, who knew we were into crypto, uh, they kind of, they left their jobs or they stopped what they were doing and they, and they moved in and lived with us. Uh, people with like very strong entrepreneurial tendencies, uh, developers, researchers, engineers, they just started coming and hanging out. And that's really how everything started. Um, yeah, it's like how I, how I heard it described, a lot of people from San Francisco and Silicon Valley, when they entered the house, they're like, wow, yeah, this is exactly what, how a startup should be. So it's one of those hacker houses at the current moment. Yeah, um, yeah a blockchain dormitory is, is you know, it's quite, I, will, I mean, we try to keep it clean. But it's quite shabby, and uh, but we don't, yeah, yeah. Well, we don't, we don't, we don't mind too much because I mean, like we know, we know why we're here for. Um, it got quite out of hand, uh, just like a couple, like about a month ago, uh, where in this three-bedroom apartment, like twenty-five people were sleeping on the floor on average, right, on every single day. Damn. And so yeah. we had to, uh, we had to kind of manage the space. So we had a little hard fork. So we have right now we have nonce and we have nonce classic, okay. which is which is an unofficial fork of nonce. But yeah, I mean that's we're kind of sustaining. I mean the the um, community is sustained that way. Do you think your hip hop background kind of 
aligned with the philosophies of you mentioned. I think anarchy was one of the words that you mentioned. Yes, do, do you do you think that kind of you know the the sort of mindset that you brought helped you to set up something like this? You know, it's not just me who has this. Actually, I I know quite there are some people who have like a hip hop background who has a, who have a very hustle mentality in blockchain. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I think one is just realizing or envisioning a world where everything is flat, as opposed to there being a, an authority. I think that's one definitely. Another one is um, empowerment, just how you can empower different people through technology. But in arts, you're empowering, empowering people on a one-on-one basis. But with technology, with technology like blockchain, you're empowering like one too many, right? So it scales a lot better. Um, that was another thing that I really, really enjoyed. Um, another thing, uh, the final thing I think I really enjoyed is um, knowledge of self. So, you know, this is something that's talked about a lot in like, like 90s, 90s hip hop, like, but it deals with just like, like what Yung says, the core questions, right? What is money? What is my relationship to the state? What is my relationship to my peers? So I was already very much into that. So it was just this, um, everything um, about blockchain and crypto, it was just a natural extension of it. And like I said, even before that, even when I was, a, when I was programming, like I, lo- I, I love like everything about hackers, everything about, you know, cybersecurity, cyber wars, like that, that was my jam. So it was, it, was, it was a very natural fit. Right. So one of the things that you mentioned was about decentralized governance in this building, which can house up to 100 people. So how, how does it work today? Like, can anyone come in, join the community, start living there, start working there? Uh, yes, but initially we started as like permissionless co-living working space uh, based on proof of work. So that means like we um, make the house like permissionless so anybody can come. But like to stay here for a long period of time, you got to do some proof of work. That can be in like different forms. Like you can make a presentation on like blockchain core protocols. You can create content. You can connect people with others. Right. So you can. You can actually, we try to be uh, maximally flexible in, in terms of like defining the proof of work. So as long as you kind of like explicitly uh, contribute to the community, you can actually stay here. Uh, yeah, stay here. But like the thing is, we don't want to be the sole authority that kind of like determine who actually determines the proof of work. So we are trying to experiment with sort of some sort of like collaborative filtering. So where people can sort of like judge each other and kind of like evaluate each other as they kind of like live together. So yeah, there should be a lot of decisions to be made, right? As like when you're maintaining the community, who do you accept like as community members? Who you're gonna grant the access to the building, right? And then all sort of stuff. And I think that should be decided by the community. So me and Shin, we just don't want to be sort of like centralized decision makers. So. Yeah, we are um, trying different ways of sort of like, yeah, governance models, so-called. Yeah. And do you have a particular governance model in place or you're still kind of testing and working things out? I will say that we are still testing and working things out. We are still experimenting. Something that uh, really affected us, like an essay that really helped help us focus was this essay called The Tyranny of Structurallessness by uh, American feminist Joe Freeman. And uh, yeah, so, so a lot of the listeners listening might think, oh, wow, Nans sounds wonderful. But if you go ahead and read Tyranny of Structurelessness, 
we thought we really thought Joe Freeman was living at Nantes, and she happened to write like a National Geographic, you know, observation essay or something about how people were living here, and uh, we realized that at first we were equivocating, um, like decentralization with structurelessness, but then we realized that you could be decentralized, but you need to have a structure in place, um, and. Yeah, everything that we're doing is, is still very experimental. We're building tools out so that we could uh, live as a community a lot better. Uh, we're also, you know, experimenting with, uh, thinking of experimenting with different token models to align incentives that may, that may be misaligned from the beginning. Um, there's been several projects that's been incubated out of NONS too. So also how we maintain relationships with those projects is um, another concern of ours. So yeah, everything's an experimentation. Sure. And just like to add to that, like one of the things we have learned is that uh, decentralization um, is not sort of like the panacea. So, it, so we love decentralization so much that we try to implement sort of like decentralized way of doing things in everywhere, right? So we soon figured out that's not actually optimal. I mean, for example, if you are designing something, you can't actually reach a consensus, right? Because like some people are just like better. Right. And then some sort of actions that require sort of like um, very, like very fast execution. Right. When you're actually getting a building and all those stuff. Right. That's something you can't actually uh, reach a consensus in, in, in a short period of time. Right. So I think, yeah, some, some, some of the decisions should be um, made by decentralized distributed consensus. But like some are probably not. It's kind of like those are the things that we are learning at this moment i guess yeah like who cleans up the house oh yes <laughs> and who does the dishes because <laughs> i know that's that's a problem in my house and, and there's two of us <laughs> yes i think um the the bigger person should always be doing the dishes <laughs> um so how do you evaluate maybe right now or what do you have in mind in terms of measuring someone's contribution? Like is a developer more important than a marketeer? How do you ensure the community is well balanced in terms of the different skill sets that might be required in this ecosystem? Sure. Um, first of all, uh, Nance, Nance's particular approach to everything is uh, we're actually very focused on blockchain core protocols. So just by the nature of the space, we do value developers much more than uh, marketeers. Uh, maybe UX designers are a little bit higher than marketers. <laughs> um, yeah, so we, 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 just, we just have that, right? And um, out, of, out of the developers and whatnot, like de I think developers are actually quite easy because you, know, you could look at their GitHub, uh, you could, you could like, talk to other developers about what kind of contributions they have made. And that's, uh, that's actually very, very simple. Um, but work, proof of work is, a, is an interesting thing. Like, um, we really try to model ourselves after Bitcoin. And, you know, the interesting thing about the Bitcoin proof of work is that um, when you're proving the work, it takes a long period of time. But when you're verifying the work, it, ex it takes an extremely short period of time. At the beginning, we didn't really know this. So we were, I, I mean, sure, we were trying to mimic Bitcoin, but I guess we didn't just, we didn't think about it that deeply. So we were asking ourselves a lot of questions about what is work? So like, I, like you said, is it, is it uh, cooking? Is it doing the dishes? Can you measure that? How can you, um, how can you be sure that somebody have, has executed on that? How do you even verify that? And uh, 
for us, like we thought our contribution was because we really wanted accelerated learning in terms of blockchain. We really wanted people to um, to share what they had, uh, their diff- the re- different researches that they were doing or different um, articles or maybe talks they had and aggregate that and then to share it with the community. That's what that's how we started as a YouTube channel. So we naturally thought, oh, that's what everybody would do. But um, we soon figured out um, that's not the case. You know, in some, in, in some cases, like some developers, right, they, they want to uh, contribute to open source projects and they're not necessarily the best communicators, um, maybe like in terms of presenting uh, slides or something. So, yeah, I mean, I think right now it's, it's more of, um, you know, they say that no matter how good AI gets for a while, the human brain actually processes processes a lot of data, and we can intuit a lot of things. So we do intuitively we do know what the com- what the problems in the community is, or uh, what kind of uh, uh, what kind of problems that uh, what kind of issues the community has at hand. So we try to um, pick people, or we try to match people to those problems and help them contribute in that sense. Interesting. So from what I understand, you guys focus on different verticals in terms of your contribution as a community to the crypto and blockchain ecosystem. So you have token economics consulting, smart contract auditing, media and community management, a fund and a research arm. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. So how are responsibilities split up today? I'm guessing it's decentralized, so everyone does their own thing, but do you guys kind of split up responsibilities or everyone takes up their own particular project? Um, so basically, uh, we define Nance as a community of like independent business units and self-sovereign individuals. So you can be a, a Nance member as, a, as an individual, right? So that's pretty clear, right? Uh, but you can also be an independent business unit, which means is that um, basically, if you are a business, you just take care of your business. Uh, Nons actually doesn't care um, or micromanage how each of the, um, the project should work. So kind of like try to give uh, complete freedom of how the company should be run, how, how the company should be run. And so it has a financial, uh, complete financial and governance independence from the, from, from Nons basically. And what are your individual areas of focus? Kashin, you want to start with Studio Decentral? Sure. Um... I'm the CEO of Studio Decentral. It means I, I manage uh, day-to-day operations of Rest Studio Decentral. And there are several uh, creators who are uh, uploading different contents onto the channel. So I, I take care of them. I take care of you know, the editor, our cameraman. It's kind of what I do. Um, another, another thing I do is um, there's the Nons Foundation, which, is, which handles like, the community and the space aspect. Recently, I've been doing a lot of the different global, par- global partnerships. So I've been meeting with different people, uh, people who might be in- interested in investing into, into our space or you know, people we could uh, have different collaboration opportunities with, whether it be like from an educational standpoint or just uh, advertising, um, marketing. Um, so I do that. And then finally for, um, alpha nonce, which is our fund, um, I am actually the lead analyst. So I look at a lot of the ICO deals, um, and I try to figure out which, which ones are good. Uh, so, so far, yeah, it sounds like a lot, but, um, I think it's very natural for, um, a startup to have, uh, different people, uh, th- different people wearing different hats. So right now, for example, with the global partnership part of 
Wellness Foundation, I'm pretty much done with that. So I don't need to really focus on that anymore. I'm actually focusing much more on the lead analyst part. And also like the CEO part, it just, it just requires a different set of brain when you're doing media as opposed to uh, running a fund. So I'm doing two things right now. Younghun? Uh, yeah, for me, I'm primarily focused on the research side and just say in terms of, and also the just general strategic direction of the um, nonce community, I guess. So it's not like, um, in terms of like nonce community, um, I'm, I'm responsible for just like making sure we get the spaces, right? <laughs> so as we kind of like, as community expand, um, I'm just trying to make sure that we have enough space to accommodate everyone and to like foster a great community. So that's my primary job. So, and then I, as a sort of like a part-time job, I think I'm, I'm a researcher as well. And because I, because my background, due to the back, my background in like mass computer science, I study on um, blockchain core protocol and I share it in on YouTube, on uh, Studio Decentral channel. So it's called the White Paper Foundation, basically. So we try to, um, our research farm is based on the observation that a lot of the blockchain technologies are open source and abundant. So technologies are all there. And just like anybody can use it, anybody can see the um, sort of like source code on GitHub. And if if there's a good like plasma implementation or like if there's a good like sidechain implementation, you can actually just use it, right? If you're just like if you have developers can understand that and implement that, right? <laughs> so, it, but it's all out there, right? And a lot of there are a lot of scalability solutions. There are a lot of consensus algorithms, right? So we kind of like um, envision the future where there will be like dozens and dozens of like consensus algorithms, scalability solutions, and and others, right? So I think the problem for the blockchain, the sustained success of the blockchain protocol might not be the might might not be the development of a kick ass technology per se. But I think it's more of a governance like system where you where you kind of decide which kind of like technologies you're gonna use, right? Because it's all out there. It doesn't make sense for you to kind of like spend a lot of time just like doing research on your own. It's like someone's gonna just copy you, right? So yeah, I think it's more of, um, so White Paper Foundation is, we, we study core protocols, but at the same time we study governance protocols, where how do we have come up with the best like booting protocol to how do we assess the technology sort of like in objective sense? Because like a lot of the technologies um, are judged primarily by the merit of the size of the investor pool, I think, because <laughs> like if, if, if if some project has like more investors, more influential investors, it certainly becomes like a good project, right? But like nobody has an incentive here at the blockchain scene to sort of like compare different technologies on in, in is objectively, right? So everybody just like pitching their own blockchain because everybody has a stake in it. So yeah, just so we're, we're really dedicated to um, sort of like objective understanding of the technologies and sort of like try to explore the entire design space of the blockchain. So. Yeah, just like she and I, I wear different hats. So, yeah, that's what I primarily primarily do in advance. All right. So, so as we progress through the interview, I guess, do you guys think it would make sense to kind of focus on the individual verticals that you take care of? We can kind of talk about the media and community management arm, the fund, and then move on to the research uh, aspect that Young Hoon is taking care of. Yep. I think yeah. that'd be great. <laughs> All right. So let's start off with uh, Shion. So let's start off with Studio Decentral. Is this mm -hmm. the YouTube channel? 
Yes, it is. So we started yeah. off as the blockchainers and we later rebranded to Studio Decentral. Okay. And the primary content that you produce are the YouTube videos. That's correct. Right. And uh, would you produce content in other forms as well or it's primarily just videos? Um, yeah. So this is targeted towards a Korean audience, meaning yeah. um, I assume that they have blazing fast internet anywhere in Korea. So we make, we create uh, at least our Korean content and, um, you know, Korean content with, you know, in, vid- in terms of videos. Right. And what kind of content would you create typically? Yeah. So when we first started out, it was just, it was really just educational content. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen um, uh, Carl, Carl from Ethereum, like his uh, game theory research thing back, research group back in the days. But um, he, he got a group of people together who would study game theory for about a week. And then they would meet several times, a, several times, or maybe once a week, several times a week to just talk about what their findings were. And me and Younghun did precisely that. We would, uh, we started off with like the very basics, like blockchain 101. And we talked about Bitcoin. We talked about Ethereum. We talked about different issues in Bitcoin, different issues in Ethereum as it came up. And that's kind of how we started. So we would have a, like a PowerPoint presentation and we would do a live stream that lasted anywhere from two to three hours every week. And so everyone who was interested in Bitcoin uh, or Bitcoin, Ethereum and other uh, blockchain and cryptocurrencies would tune in. And that was the primary content. We also did uh, Twitter reads. So talking about the most interesting uh, Twitter uh, t- tweets that happened within the last 24 hours. So we just wanted, we thought that the future of uh, news in terms of um, like cryptocurrency would be very different than having a report by a fund uh, because the market is open 24 hours. So we realized like Twitter was the best way to uh, aggregate that kind of information. So we had that. We also did different inter- uh, different interviews with different leaders in the space, such as, you know, Roger, Charlie, um, Lisk, uh, Jed, Jed Michaela from Stellar. Yeah, yeah. just all these different people. So we have, we have, yeah, we have a variety of contents. It was actually be the same as, um, you know, other YouTube channels that you, ha- that you see, except we, d- we uh, had a very education focused. Uh, I think we m- might have had one sponsored episode so far. So all of our other episodes were never, ever sponsored. And uh, yeah, we, we just kept on pushing. What, what was the sponsored episode? Oh, I think it was for Metablock. It was Metablock, which was an ICO in Korea. Okay. So other than, other than them, like we really like the CEOs because they have a, they have, I mean, they're, they're solid engineers. I don't know how their economic, token economics and everything will pan out because it's, you know, it's, it, takes more than just good technology to make something viable. So I think that was the only episode that we got paid for. Everything else was yeah, just done out of our own pockets. Awesome. So I know you have strong views based on the discussion that we had prior to the call on the current media model. Yes, I do. <laughs> Would you want to talk about what you make of um, the current way in which media works in this ecosystem? Sure. Yeah, I have a very strong views on this. Uh, just just uh, a lot of shots will be fired. And, uh, oh, well, that's, let, let, it be, let it be what it is. Absolutely. Um, Go for it. Yeah, so originally my thought was that, the, the, you know, I, I come from like a contents background, right? So if you make great content, that's kind of, and, and if you're uh, day trading for attention, that's kind of what people gravitate towards. Yeah. Um, but in, in blockchain, there's this problem, right? Which is a lot of new ideas are coming out. But honestly, um, there is no incentive to disprove a project 
but there is a lot but there is a lot of incentive to put something out and then pump it uh, for all all it's worth um, so I thought three three parts were the problem there's like the media was the problem the content was the problem and the community was the problem meaning the media is built around shallow hype as opposed to defects and incentives are not aligned for media to be its own independent entity and selling news is much more profitable than doing investigative journalism um, good information is really hard to come by, right? And we have a huge fragmentation in information, especially if you look at like the whole global market because you'll have people like, you know, people who won't have access to certain things because of language barriers. And add the fact that like the incentive behind debunking something is not as strong as claiming something. So you'll have, you know, Project XYZ saying that they're the greatest project in the world. And there's no way for anyone to know, know what this is. And even if somebody goes and takes the trouble of debunking it, the price doesn't quite reflect that. So, you know, even like take, take for example, like even scams like BitConnect, you know, it was on CoinMarketCap for how many, how many months? And there was no way for anyone to know it, uh, to, to do anything about it. And then a ne next one is um, just like the content. There's a problem with content, which is, it's kind of stereotypical, but you know, like with, this, with an engineering background, um, I felt like a lot of the content, like the good content, even like the really good content that was produced was a weak in communication and empathy. So someone who really wanted to learn like about the technology, only those were the people who got, you know, access and kind of figured things out. And there's a really high entry barrier. Um, and those who understand, so like those who, you know, have an engineering background or something, they can't necessarily explain it well. I think it's getting better, but... In, in terms of countries like Korea, where blockstream, oh, sorry, blockchain is already mainstream, um, yeah, it's just you are not going to get the moms and pops off the street, and they are not going to understand any of the content that's created. Um, therefore, I, I don't think there's enough creating content for a specific audience. You know, if you talk about content creation anywhere else, your first thing is, who's your target audience? But there's, there's none of that. A um, lot of Twitter wars are waged, but not at a level where people can understand. And a lot of content is one-off as opposed to being evergreen. Um, what I mean by one-off as opposed to being evergreen, I mean that, let's say, if, uh, you know, every day, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you're, you're the same way, Tushar, but we're just bombarded with emails from different projects um, asking to be on our show, you know, because they find us as quote-unquote to be influencers, right? Let's say I really, really like a project. Like, I really like the team, everything. They're a very legit project. Okay, if I get them on the show, I don't like, and I, it's maybe like an hour long, two hour long interview, like maybe 10 minutes, 30 minutes. Actually, the length doesn't really matter. I get paid, well, you know, and currently right now in Korea, other than our channel, a lot of people, a lot of these content creators are getting paid about 40K per interview, uh, 40K USD, right? Wow. Yeah, I don't know if people knew this. Or sometimes they get paid 40K plus they get token allocations in terms of percentages. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Um, yeah. I, there's some other places where, you know, they get, you know, they ask um, 6K to do an interview, but then the, the project who's asking for the interview has to, has to uh, uh, prepare all the questions beforehand and send it to it. <laughs> so to me, it's, it's just like doing a, I don't know what it is, you know, it, it, does, it just doesn't make any sense to me. And so let's say I have, like I said, we're going back to the example of, let's say there's a pre-ICO project, uh, ICO project that I really, really like. So before they do the ICO, they're willing to give me anything just to be on the show. When they're on the show, what they're getting is, you know, every ICO project, more than 80% of the funds are raised from Far East Asia. 
So they're getting a chance to be exposed to the um, Far East Asian demographic. But then what happens afterwards is post-ICO, I cannot you know, continue a normal relationship with these companies. You know, I would like to follow up. Like I said, it's, I really believe in the project, right? And, um, but then you know, now they have all this money. And why should they listen to someone you know, who milked them for all it's worth? Like the, when we did the interview, the interview is only good for the um, interviewer, not for the interviewee, right? Because the interviewee, even if, even if this project pays 40K just to be on the show, it doesn't matter because they make so much more when they do their ICO, right? But then still, that's, that um, rotten, rotten feeling is still there. So how, like, it's, like, I think in terms of content, it's also like how do you carry on the um, relationship is another big problem. And then finally, um, I think communities are community is issue, meaning there are fans, but there's, I don't think there's a real community. Um, this is, there, it's, it's, not, it's not just, the, the problem isn't just like pump and dump telegram groups or pools, but you know, there are not enough competent workers in the blockchain ecosystem. And the problem is amplified by blockchain competing with other tech fields for talent, right? So motivated, self-encouraging, and disciplined, quote-unquote, like right people are extremely hard to come by. Um, we are seriously, seriously undermanned. So, you know, there, there aren't a lot of efforts put by like, for example, like in Korea, there's a lot of people with the title of community manager under their belt. But really what it is, is you get a lot of people before the ICO and you feed them a lot of news, uh, news info, right? And so these people will buy the tokens. And a lot of my community manager friends, um, you know, they're having a hard time. I mean, first of all, do they really believe in the project? I'm not really sure because they got paid in tokens, right? And then they can always um, say that they're loyal to a particular project and say that they're, they're the community manager of a particular project, but then they can actually be doing a lot more of those on the side. Um, and also, yeah, as a community manager, what are you really responsible for? Are you really building a community or are you really appeasing people who are token holders who are whining in your telegram chat and you just have to listen to their problems and, you know, try to appease them as much as possible. I mean, yeah, there's just certain problems that I see in the media, which doesn't make sense. So what would be a better business model if you're a media company today that ensures that there's no conflict of interest? And that you succeed as a business as well. You know, um, so I know you had a Meher Roy from FF Center on your channel. And it's, there really isn't that much media out there where I trust. Meaning, yeah. I, can tr I know I can trust the Epicenter guys because they've been doing it for such a long time. And they're yeah. so consistent with it, right? Yeah. Same thing with like everybody who's doing like, let's talk Bitcoin. Um, like the whole Bitcoin magazine people, like I know they're just so solid with like the investigative journalism part. Um, I think a lot of that needs to come back. And I think, I really think the space needs to support a lot of people who are making efforts like that. Um, yeah, I, I've, I feel like we will eventually come back there, right? We'll eventually come back to people who are uh, value adding. Um, but right now it's just... It's, it's a, it seems like it's a, a lot of it is about hype. And I really, you know, blockchain and crypto, the to just token, tokens in general, it did open up so many avenues for us in terms of um, like how do we monetize something. So, it's, you know, I, I'm a big fan of uh, Let's Talk Bitcoin. And I've been like, I've been listening to their episodes ever since they first started. So I'm catching up slowly. But they've been trying so many different models of monetization. It's amazing. And um, 
I don't know why other medias like I mean same with us we're I, we just we didn't monetize because we're actually really bad at monetizing <laughs> and I think we need to we need to be better about that yeah so am I but, <laughs> yes yes but yeah I just think more eff- there needs to be more effort put like creative ways to uh, monetize this content and you know I think it's really about longevity um, if the market is good if the market stays this way then maybe like the pumpers and the uh, people who are participating in the pumping and the dumping and um, uh, you know stealing money from um, re- you know regular everyday investors who got in with while the people who got in at like seed round they're making a ton of money um, this will continue but I think as the industry matures uh, people will know who hopefully people will know who the voices of reason are and the people that have proved it with the track record I really think um, we should band together and make a more concerted, more concerted effort. Um, but you know, I mean, like, let's, let's be real here. I, I, I'm saying this, and this is the ideal idealistic part of me saying this, but, um, in terms of social media, uh, the stuff that, you know, is outrageous and over the top, those usually get much more retweets than the ones that are sensible. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. I mean, at least personally for me, I never started out the podcast with the intention to monetize my goal for the podcast was getting access to people. Like I would have never been able to speak to you, I think, if it wasn't for the podcast, right? Mm-hmm. So like, I'm just grateful that I get connected to so many interesting people um, because I have this small media platform that I've created. So that's my thought process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I believe it. So yeah, I think content, whether it be people like Tim Ferriss or Joe Rogan, right? They've started, they've, they've done it for years and they just did it because they loved it. Yeah. And eventually they got to the point where they can monetize. But with this inflow of like crypto YouTubers, um, crypto media. So in Korea, actually, um, out of the three, the three most booming crypto businesses in Korea are actually funds, media, and uh, uh, funds, media, marketing, right? So these people are, I don't think they're really adding value to the community. And I, I, I'm, when I'm saying this, I'm, saying this for myself to hear as well, you know, cause there, I think there's a way for media to really bring value to the community. And I think there's a way for media to really, um, just rape, <laughs> rape the community for all, for all it's worth. And, yeah. um, yeah, I just, why, why does Korea have these? Well, cause the entry to barrier is so low. You just set up a website. You just start translating, um, certain news, news feeds that's out there. And all of a sudden, um, you're, you're a professional and we, we're seeing that a lot happening around us. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think they just started with a different intent. So I, I, I'll say, you know, I'll, I'll say what my two cents about them, but you know, at the end of the day, I got to work harder, right? Can't, can't really, um, knock somebody for their hustle. Yeah. Well, you, you've been dropping some Gary V terms. I heard day trading attention, the hustle, the hustle. Um, are, are you a fan? Yes, uh, Gary, <laughs> big uh, Gary V fan. I mean, but even before that, like it's like the hip hop hustle mentality. Sure, sure. Yeah, I think Gary Gary brings a lot of the hip hop mentality with him. Also, uh, like I think he personally has been kind of influenced by that as well in terms of how he grew up. But huge fan as well. Like one of the main reasons this podcast exists is because of him. <laughs> I think it's so funny that we're talking about Gary V on a crypto podcast. This is great. <laughs> I guess that's his impact and reach. Uh, 
you know, moving on to the fund, could you talk a little bit um, about the fund? How is it structured? Do you take on external investors? How you, how you make investment decisions? Do you have a particular geography in mind? Sure. Um, we are, uh, the fund originally started at, off as a quant, quant fund. And this is headed by uh, Yongun's younger brother, who used to be a banker over at BlackRock. And it was just five engineers who got together who really love quant and algorithmic trading. And uh, Yongun's younger brother used to uh, intern at Corbett back in around 2015. So they got together. They were, yeah, they just wanted um, something, something more interesting than um, the stock market. So they went ahead and created the quant engine. And, uh, you know, it's been running, it's been running since uh, February so far. And we finally have our uh, first, uh, first, uh, first two strategies. Like one of them is like uh, arbitrage. Um, there's an arb strategy. And then the other one is a uh, market making. You know, we do market making for some projects where we're about, we're getting ready to start doing that. But then... These are all currency neutral, right? So we wanted an, another way to expose our portfolio. So me and Younghoon, you know, we used to, exp uh, we used to um, invest into ICOs on, at a personal level, but uh, we wanted, yeah, we wanted to become more organized. So another friend of ours, uh, she recently uh, joined us and uh, we created the ICO, ICO investment fund. I mean, it's ICO, but really at the end of the day, it's just investment. We we're really to, you know, trade, um, ICO, uh, get into ICO, get equity, even like IPOs, if that's, if that's uh, something that's possible, right? And um, the, way we, the way we look through these is, you know, we don't focus too much on Korean projects because, um, you know, Korea during the Web 2.0 uh, era, we chose services instead of going for infrastructure. So when, because of the state that we're in blockchain right now, in terms of blockchain protocols, there really aren't, that many protocol developers in Korea. So we just don't think it's the right way to do it, uh, right time to do it. And we're also not really, not too interested in reverse ICOs. So I think every fund will say this, but more or less what you'll hear from all funds is, oh yeah, we, we invest in uh, infrastructure, middleware and development tools, right? <laughs> Scalability solutions, privacy, uh, privacy solutions, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, we, we're doing that too. But um, something that we're trying to do uh, that's different is because my partner comes from a financial background, we're trying to look, um, look for more, look for more uh, financial tools. So currently she's in London. You know, we're, we're working remotely, remotely. She'll be back in Korea. But, you know, we contact people. We hear about these deals. We do our uh, due diligence on them. The technical due diligence part, actually, white paper, Youngwoo's research arm, that helps us out with the technical due diligence. And... Um, yeah, the rest of the stuff we kind of we kind of figure out on our own, and then we decide whether we're going to go into a project or not. And is it your money? Is it the community's money? Do you allow external investors to come on board? How is the fund structured? Oh yeah, so right now everything is our money, and then some some people from the community who trust us enough. Um, but yeah, I mean, we could. I know there are some funds that are opening up to receive uh, LP money, but for us. Uh, it's more about the reputation, right? I mean, it's you're handling other people's money at the end of the day, and uh, we're still we're still greenhorns. I, I'm not gonna lie. I think a lot of our successful investments in the past has been because we've been. It's more that we've been lucky than that we've had skills. So we're 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 currently like testing out whether it was luck or whether we really had some insight. So we're figuring things out. So I think I think we'll be um, working with our money for 
next couple next couple months, and I think by the end of the year, we'll actually receive other people's money. We'll open it up. All right, sounds good. So uh, you know, I've been uh, keeping Young Hoon in the corner and, and not kind of involving him in the discussions. So I want to kind of move on to the research arm. Um, Young Hoon, could you talk a little <laughs> bit about what your research arm focuses on? Are there any particular areas of interest at the moment? Oh yeah, it's like the white paper. The name of the uh, research arm is basically white paper. I mean, yeah. like this like came from the crazy idea that I had uh, like with Xian. Um, so I just like briefly mentioned that the open source technology is becoming, um, yeah, it's open source and abundant, right? So uh, we see um, even though the markets are sort of like, it's like uh, not very good situation, right? But like there are a lot of technological development like under the hood, right? So we see more and more so consensus algorithms coming. So a, a lot of them are really interesting, different trade-offs. And then we do see a lot of like different scalability solutions, right? So the most notable of which are like plasma, um, well, because state channels or like sharding, right? But each technology has different sort of like characteristics and trade-off to check, um, to keep each other at check. And then um, it requires a deposit from all the participants, right? So in terms of scalability, you mentioned plasma, state channels, sharding. What would your typical involvement be? Like, would you just kind of research on improving these, facilitating its growth, facilitating its usage, or or would you just kind of publish your thoughts on it? Would you work closely with the teams that are trying to implement these different scalability solutions? Like, what would your involvement be? All right. Uh, Currently, our stage is just like a research stage. So... Yeah, we're just like trying to study sort of like um, as like wide technologies as possible, right? So we just like, it's more of an academic study of like different technologies, right? So for, yeah, I mean, the state channels, um, sharding, plasma, they each have like different trade-offs. So for example, state channels require um, the old participant to put deposit on, on chain. So there's apparently a liquidity cost to it. And then it also requires people to stay online all the time, right? So, I mean, we're trying to uh, sort of like develop a game like based on the state channels, but we're having a lot of trouble right now because, you know, I mean, a lot of the solutions are really premature right now and it's really hard to use um, those solutions because like you don't have a proper implementation of any of those like scaling solutions right so i think at this stage of the time i think it's more of a theoretic sort of like academic research on different like scaling solutions and consensus algorithms and stuff uh, so between plasma state channels and sharding is there one in particular that is that you think is more likely to succeed or you think it's all fair game at the moment i think if you look at the um ethereum research on like, sharding and plasma it's going to take quite a long time before it gets yep. actually mainstream. Yep. So I think state channel has the highest probability of uh, getting into the mainstream. But as I mentioned, it has like really, really sort of like rigorous, I think, requirement, right? So, I mean, if you, it's really hard to come up with the uh, proper, uh, like the, the killer application for state channels, basically. So if you open up a channel, uh, you gotta have a, keep a constant eye on, the um, others and blockchain 
And then you need to put a deposit. You need to solve the routing problems where you kind of like, uh, you, you, you sort of like, you don't open the channel with everybody. So you gotta, it, it should be gone through the intermediary, which kind of like degrade the privacy and sort of like efficiency and stuff. Right. So I think, I don't know. I mean, we're, we're trying to find a game application, which can actually be a benefit, which can benefit a lot from the state channels. I think state channels, like it, it, it ensures the um, really, really fast transactions uh, with really low fees. So I think probably some applications that are based on state channels are one of the uh, few sort of like killer applications in, that we're going to see probably in the near future, I think. But like, it's really hard to find the applications, I think. Yeah. And what do you make of scalability through centralization of block production? Uh, it's like EOS, I think. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I guess. Uh, um, I, don't, I don't know. Yeah. Um, it's just like, I think as Vitaly kind of said it, but like, it's like, it depends on too much. It depends too much on subjective sort of like human coordination. So it reminds me of like, if you see the EOS platform, like it reminds me of like US presiden presidential election, right? Mm -hmm. So block producers are competing to sort of like, um, um, get attention from the people, right? So what you're actually seeing is that in Korea, there are like three to five block producer candidate. So they're not in top 21, I think. They're trying really hard. And what we are seeing actually is that they're really close to each other. And like already they're forming a some sort of cartel, right? Even though they're not in top 21, right? So I don't know, it's really political. So it just like, because like the reason we got interested in Bitcoin in the first place is that it sort of like make um, the whole sort of like system is algorithmic. So it, it is not under the um, control of like few parties or centralized authority, right? But like what we are seeing in like those like centralized platform is more of um, the same repetition of like political sort of like um, yeah, battles or like all the stuff, right? That we are actually seeing day-to-day -day, like in our politics, right? So I think, I, I really truly believe in the vision of Ethereum, basically. So they, um, the base protocol, I think, should make, um, I mean, it shouldn't make, it shouldn't compromise, right? So, I mean, I think it's better to have a really, really censorship resistant, like maximally, so like decentralized base protocol. And then we build like different applications, right? On top of it which might be a um, little bit centralized, but can actually ensure better efficiency, right? If you're, if you're building a gaming application, it doesn't have to be like that censorship resistant as like other cryptocurrencies, right? So people don't actually care, right? So yeah, I just believe in the vision of Ethereum where like all the different um, applications of a varying degree of centralization efficiency built on top of the, um, the maximally sort of like decentralized base, base model. Yeah. So, so, uh, so prior to the call, I was warned by Siyun that, uh, that you went from being a Bitcoin maximalist to a huge Ethereum fan. So I was, I was kind of expecting you to, <laughs> uh, to, 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 I guess, say um, the things that you, that you said. But so I'm, I'm just curious, what do you make of the move from you know, proof of work to you know, proof of stake and delegated proof of stake consensus um, projects? that are coming up in general. So there's Definity, there's Tezos, there's Cosmos. Like, how do you think this space will evolve and do you have any thoughts on it? Honestly, like, I, it, 
I can't actually make a sort of like accurate prediction of the future, I think. Because like, but what are your thoughts? Do you have any thoughts, any views? Yeah, uh, yeah I believe that the, um, yeah, as I said, I believe that the maximally decentralized space protocol is like, it's the way to go. And I think Cardano has a very rigorous academic approach, which is pretty good. And a lot of the um, interesting research regarding like former verifications and stuff, they're very interesting as well. Right, but like, you, you, but at the same time, you have a network effect, right? So I think the theorem is the most like developer friendly. And Cardano, I mean, I, I've read their research papers a lot, but like, I couldn't understand that. <laughs> I mean, I mean, even like, even a lot of like good programmers or developers and like researchers, they have a hard time understanding Cardano paper, right? So I think Vitalik in this aspect has done a fantastic job of explaining really, really difficult concept in a uh, slightly less sort of esoteric terms where so some of the programs researchers can understand so I think in terms of like engagement and stuff I think yeah, Ethereum is far ahead and right. as I said like a lot of the um, technologies are open source right and Definity yeah. has this very interesting idea of like applying the LS signature to um, to consensus algorithm right and then validate selection I think, but at the same time, like Ethereum can just use it, right? They have a plan to use that, incorporate that into a, their proof of stake scheme, right? So, yeah, at the end of the day, if, even though other competitors have like good technology and pretty good ones, right? And then Ethereum can just copy it if, if it has a good community. So at the end of the day, I think it, com oh, it all comes down to sort of like degree of sort of like mass hallucination, I think that you can kind of affect. So if you kind of like make people believe um, in your project and then just like extract the maximum sort of the net network effect out of that I think that's probably the almost that will be the probably be the most successful blockchain project I think yeah absolutely I think and ethereum is thinking along those lines I mean especially in terms of privacy in terms of you talked about formal verification I think those are things that is in the ethereum roadmap if already not implemented um, but, and this is something you mentioned earlier as well, but I think governance is something that they don't have quite figured out, right? Uh, yeah, but I think they're on the right direction because I think it's, it's less of the evil, I think, at the end of the day. So, I don't know. I mean, it's going to be really hard to come up with the um, governance protocol where everybody can agree, I guess. Yeah. And then people just like criticize Vitalik being like too centralized. But I think it's like, is based on meritocracy. So, I mean, he's, he got a lot of power because he deserves it. Cause like people have an option to not follow him or like people do it anyways, because you know, he got a great insight. I mean, he got really, really great insight. I'm, I'm really amazed by his insight. And I just like love like looking at just like reading his writings. So yeah, I mean, this governance protocol is like, it's going to take years before we sort of like, or we, we kind of figure out how it works and what are the best like governance protocols and I don't know I mean it, it just like it might be the case that we might never reach a sort of like that stage I mean we might not come up with the best governance protocol at all right so yeah it's really it's really complicated problem I guess yeah so you made an interesting point there so you said you know like you know people have an option of not following Vitalik but they Kind of choose to and he deserves to have the power that he that he has so do you think in general and i'm speaking more philosophically at the moment um that no matter how much decentralization we may want we tend to go towards more centralization 
Um, yeah, I think that's that's a really interesting point because it's quite weird. I mean, it just um, you, you you kind of see the similarity in the um, so um, elsewhere as well. But like pl- pro- in blockchain, it's decentralized. But when you actually think hard about it, right, the core protocol development is actually quite centralized. I mean, it's extremely centralized. I mean, it's decentralized. It's decentralized because everybody uses uses exactly the same protocol. And there are only few people who can actually contribute to the development of the core protocol. So, yeah, I think it's decentralized, but I think, is it going to decentralize power as well? Probably not, right? Because like Vitalik has a tremendous amount of power. And if Ethereum becomes the world computer and becomes, if it becomes the de facto smart contract platform for everything to be run on top of it, I think he's going to have a lot of power, whether he likes it or not. His comments, I mean, if he endorses some project, it's going to increase in value, right? So, I mean, yeah, he's, he's going to have a lot of power. And then, yeah, weirdly, just like decentralized protocol, it's like developed by a few, right? So, and then in terms of like inflation and stuff, like the supply um, schedule of the coins, there are only a few people who can actually... Um, uh, who participate in the um, in the discussion of those like economic policies as well, right? So this, I think it's be, we're becoming. It might be becoming a society where just a few people controls a lot more things. I think, even though people are saying it's decentralized, right? It's it's, it's, it's database is decentralized, but like it's power really decentralized as well. I don't I don't know. Yeah, um, so I want to kind of get to you and back into the conversation as well. You obviously think that Ethereum, in terms of um, how the development has happened and, and the network effects that, is, that it has in play, is going to lead Ethereum to be sort of the dominant protocol in the future. Um, it's, it's the conversation about a store of value versus a protocol with smart contract functionality. I mean, do you have views in terms of whether you think Ethereum is sort of going to become a store of value as well. What are your thoughts on Bitcoin? And, and I'd like Shion to kind of jump in and present his views as well in terms of what he thinks about this whole debate. Yeah. Um, yeah, let me, I don't know. I won't comment on Ethereum because I haven't, I really haven't looked at it for the last couple of months to make, um, to accurately say what it could be or what it could not be. But um, I'm actually, you know, and this is this sounds horrible for someone who's uh, part of a fund, but um, I actually don't look at prices that much. Um, I think we are still in the middle of a giant experimentation, and um, tomorrow Bitcoin could Bitcoin's price could could drop to zero, right? We, I think a lot of people, uh, like not not a lot of the new people, but a lot of the people who've been in this space for a while. Um, yeah, we, I mean, I think we should, we should always understand that there's a possibility of that happening. Um, it's still a very nascent technology. Um, so I'm of the opinion that, yeah, if you take price out of the equation, I think we should uh, focus on an experiment to see how far it can go. So Bitcoin, uh, BTC, right? B- BTC has an experiment going on where a uh, store of value first. And we're, we're seeing that it's proving itself to be a great store of value. Um, and there's also like the light, lightning that we're coming up. There's also, there's, you know, there's Schnorr signatures. There's also talks about like VLS signatures. There's, you know, 
Graphroot, Taproot, all that, Mast, all that stuff is in the pipeline. But nonetheless, I mean, when you, I think people have to understand, and it took me a while to understand this, but it's always a trade-off. When you, when the dice have been, when you, when you roll the dice and the dice has been rolled, you make a decision to go in a particular direction. And it might end up this way or that way, but, you know, Bitcoin Cash decided to go in a different direction. If Bitcoin as an experiment doesn't pan out, then we can always, you know, hop onto Bitcoin Cash and try to try to use that to do something better. Um, I think, yeah, I, I, I just have this, it's, it's weird. Like I just, for all the projects that are already out there, I have the opinion that while, yes, we must, we must work hard and we must develop and we must employ all the best, all the brightest minds in the world to make this technology uh, work and make it valuable. But at the same time, like, you know, don't put all your eggs in one basket, right? Um, we're not doing this to um, try to become like maximally rich, right? So yeah, that, that's just kind of my, my two cents. Yeah, but beyond the price action, I mean, that's not where I was trying to get to as well. I was just trying to kind of get your views in terms of, I guess there are different sort of use cases, right? I mean, and, and we've talked about this briefly um, in the discussion the last couple of minutes. I, I mean, at least so far, would you agree that Bitcoin is being a pretty decent store of value. Oh yeah, uh, and 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 do you like kind of foresee that, or is it's very difficult for you to say whether that's going to be the case, say two to five to ten years from now? See, another thing that I think is really funny, um, or if not interesting, that's happening in the space is, I think we're forgetting the fact that this is supposed to be like the internet of money, and depending on which part of the globe I am the relative value of these things are extremely different, right? So, you know, Andreas, Andreas Antonopoulos says this a lot, but when he says this technology, Bitcoin is for the other 6 billion, right? That's referring to the fact that while in a first world country, we can say, yeah, Bitcoin has been an awesome store of value, but in other countries, it's actually used as a medium of exchange regardless of the high transaction fees. So, yeah, can you... Can you um, so for me, like, yeah, I mean, me living in the first, me living in a first world country, being the upper five percent of the world, uh, upper five percent of the world population, enjoying a financial system that, um, that nobody, like the other ninety five percent, ninety percent, do not have access to. I think I can say that, yeah, Bitcoin has been a pretty decent store of value, but, um, but to somebody that that's living in the other side of the world, maybe for them it has been a great uh, medium of exchange. I can't say. Yeah. And Younghoon, do you have any thoughts on whatever Shiyun said at the, uh, in the past couple of minutes? Um, um, no, not really. I mean, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I mean okay. I think, this is, I think this is where our different backgrounds come into play. Right. So, yeah, I've, you know, I lived in a police state long enough to say censorship-resistant currency all the way, right? This is something I find extremely valuable in my life. Um, and this is like, you know, if you have the Bitcoin community, I think a lot of like, yeah, the libertarian, the crypto anarchists, this is something that they find very valuable. The fact that they can live in a parallel, uh, fi- parallel monetary universe than the United States dollar. Or if they're, if they're living in a pre- oppressive regime, they have a way to get off the financial system. And, to those, and those people, I think, naturally flock to Bitcoin. Um, while some others, you know, who might not view that as being super like yeah super valuable they might flock to a different currency and that's you know to each his own i think 
you know, there's a there's enough room to accommodate all sorts of uh, different different tastes and flavors. So broadly speaking, and before we wrap up, is there anything that you would like to share with the audience or talk about or any views that you might not have had the chance to, that we may not have had the chance to cover uh, over the last sort of one hour, 20 minutes that you would want to talk about? Oh, Nehru, do you have anything? I, I, I have one. I have one. When I'm part of the fund, right, and I'm looking at different projects that are presented in front of me, um, 90, 90, 80 to 90% of these projects are coming from Silicon Valley, right? They're coming from San Francisco. And I always have to wonder, is this, like I, I'm making a bet, right? If I'm believing to invest in these projects that I'm betting that the brightest minds in the world are there, I'm betting that these, these brightest minds in the world of the number one country in the world economically, that they will somehow build technologies that will help the other countries of the world, right? And to me, um, I, 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 sometimes I, I like to think um, slightly contrarian. Um, while it might be the case that a huge amount of value is generated from Silicon Valley, I also would like to think that, you know, um, because thanks to, um, thanks to Bitcoin and, you know, just the internet of money, Thanks for uh, value. Thanks to uh, value being able to cross borders fr- uh, freely, like it's water. I really think that you know you were just talking about use cases, but when we say like store of value, or when we say uh, you know unit of account or medium of ex- medium of exchange, you know, in in countries like Africa, they're already using M-Pesa, right? And that's doing the job pretty darn well. I mean, it's not it's not a perfect system, but it's a good enough system to where you're allow, allowing these people to make quantum jumps. And at the same time, um, these people are able to uh, fully harness, fully harness uh, these technologies to really improve the environments that's all around them. And in some ways, I think, I think we're, I, I try my best to focus on the problem and not so much like pigeonhole myself into a technology, right? So blockchain is a technology that is trying to that can solve a particular set of problems, but I think uh, we we're trying to make it where it solves a whole slew of problems, and also it can be you know because it's so new, we might think that it is the toolbox for which all the toolkits belong in. But I really think it's uh, it's another tool that we can take out and utilize, and so yeah, I, I'd really want like I think yeah, I I'm actually planning a tour. Uh, a trip later on this year where I'm uh, visiting different um, blockchain capitals of the world. But at the same time, I'm trying to visit countries that had really bad inflation because I want to take my imagination to its limits, right? Because as, as someone who's living in a, uh, who's lived in the first world, uh, in first world countries, most of, most of his life, there's limitations to um, how I can envision this technology being used. Right. And so, yeah, I'm always like, you know, so many of the projects out right now, we're trying to, and there's a lot of wisdom to it, I think in terms of investment, where uh, we're trying to replicate the existing financial system. But on the other hand, the ones that have a really great delta is something that we haven't seen before, something that's made possible, particularly through this technology or that that gets a huge over, like that's, you know, gets a huge overhaul because of this technology. And, um, those are kind of the things that I'm focusing on. So 
I, I don't see a lot of people um, doing that. You know, it's uh, one of my uh, humanitarian <laughs> worker friends kind of told me about this. But when she when she started working for, um, you know, uh, UNICEF, uh, she was very sick and tired of uh, people, you know, sitting or huddling around their uh, little comfortable air conditioned offices talking about, oh, we should go help people out in, you know, these devastated countries without going there and like hearing these people out and really figuring out what the problem is, who the target target is before you try, before you try and solve the problem. So um, I hope um, it's my wish that like, I mean, to me, I'm trying my best to um, get a greater int- uh, understanding and insight into the market. So I think, I hope uh, more people actually, I think more and more people are starting to understand that. So I think that's the way that we get uh, better use cases and more viable use cases. Yeah, absolutely. I think, like you said, you know, I think we're blessed to just have the financial freedom to be able to, you know, like you said, you want to go to different blockchain capitals of the world and go to places with bad inflation. I think um, that in itself is such a privilege, right? Absolutely. Right. I think like we're so blessed to have that opportunity and have that freedom to be able to travel freely and, uh, you know, do as we please with our time. Yeah, I didn't think about that, but that's, I, I, yeah, that's really great. It's really great that you pointed that out. <laughs> yeah. All right, guys. I mean, uh, anything else? Um, I just want to just like mention two, just like really just like crazy ideas. It's not crazy, but like I was like thinking about this for quite a long time because like the soul here, like Korea is really hot these days, but I can't actually feel the global warming, right? So I think the... I mean, I really like the idea of like using blockchain to help the, um, it's, it's, yeah, it's like help the um, society where the trust level is not that high. Uh, but at the same time, I'm really interested in like um, solving like big problems, like global warming. It's, like, it's, it's a massive sort of like uh, tragedy of commerce problem where incentives are misaligned, right? So I think... It's, it's kind of like crazy that we can actually solve the global warming by blockchain, but I think we, we need to at least try, right? So I think if you think of blockchain as a sort of like a mechanism where you kind of affect the massive coordination of people and machine, but I think that's like, I think that's what people have to sort of like try the technology because like it is really a serious problem. I think I, I just believe that global warming will be the most serious problem that we're going to face in this world. So, and then a lot of the pro- social problems like gentrifications and stuff, right? So we need a better way of like sharing profit and kind of like uh, incentivize like people. And yeah, it's just like in machines as well. Cause like at the end of the day, if the, uh, if you have a better AI, they're going to be a um, very critical part of the, um, our economy as well. So, and then how do you align yeah, people and machines like incentive to sort of like affect the, um, outcome that we want I think that's just like interesting direction that I'm thinking this is amazing I think that's a good note to end the interview Shiyun and Younghun thank you very much for taking the time out to come speak with us it was a fascinating fascinating conversation and it was great to have you on the show uh, thank you Tishar for uh, inviting us and next time you're in Seoul please uh, swing by Nance Absolutely. That, that's what I've been doing the past uh, few months. I have places to crash all around the world now. Uh-huh. Uh, j- just to add, just to add, uh, yep. we're actually in an alliance with different co- co-working um, blockchain hubs around the globe. 
So one of them is uh, Starfish Network over in San Francisco. Another one is Hashup over in Tokyo. We're also in talks with, uh, you know, with a co-working space over in uh, Tunisia, right? So, you know, just like these blockchain hubs are actually uh, being interconnected and uh, we're actually, I think, yeah, we're actually able to affect change or uh, positivity at a very large scale. So, you know, if you swing by nonce, we'll introduce you to other people and then you could also extend your network of places to crash at in the world. <laughs> Absolutely. I'll make it a point to visit you guys very, very soon. Yes, sir. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you for having us. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Like us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Telegram, and subscribe to our newsletter on decrypt.asia. This is your host, Tashar. Thank you for listening.